Your son, he's gone. He was weak and foolish, like his father. So I destroyed him. Welcome to the Weak and Foolish Movie Podcast. My name is Mike Tang. I'm your host for uh, this podcast. And with me today is Paul Su. Hello. Today we're going to be talking about the new film from writer-director Alex Garland, Men, which is also from A24 Films, uh, this uh, amazing movie studio that's just on a hot streak right now. Uh, Alex Garland is a filmmaker who wrote and directed the sci-fi film Ex Machina and Annihilation, and the FX series Devs. Um, Paul, uh, just just to kind of start us off, I mean, this is a not not a movie that a lot of people may have heard of, or probably even less people have seen this movie. Uh, so I guess maybe we can talk a little bit about the writer and director um, Alex Garland. How would you describe his films and his his one TV show? He's just a little sick in the head, I feel like. But sometimes I feel I feel you need to have that in order to tell really fantastical stories that no one else really tries to adapt. And I think in that sense, he he's a very ambitious director, but definitely not for the mainstream. <laughs> yeah, I think he kind of... Uh... Like he operates always on a smaller budget. I feel like, I feel like Ex Machina and Annihilation are both, you know, they're not like Marvel movies, obviously. And I don't, I, you know, I think maybe they hover around like 50 million in terms of budget. So relatively small, but not like, you know, it's not like a, like an in, indie indie film or anything. You can probably classify them as hard sci fi. I mean, it's very grounded in reality uh, and it's rooted in deep science. But also there's these fantastical elements where he kind of goes Stanley Kubrick and like you kind of have to think about it and interpret uh, what his movies are trying to say. Uh, so I think for those of you who haven't heard of Men, uh, I think you're, it's his, this guy's filmography is definitely worth checking out. Uh, I think he's made some of my favorite movies in the last 10 years or so. I wasn't too big on Devs, the FX series, but you know I, I know some people were. So, you know, there's that. No, yeah, uh, I'm with you. I, I wasn't a fan of the show either, but um, Ex Machina and, and Annihilation were some really phenomenal, like low budget sci-fi films. Yeah, I, I, would, I would even describe Ex Machina as like the before trilogy, before sunrise, sunset and midnight, but like the sci-fi version with AI and, <laughs> <laughs> and like evil corporations. Yeah, for sure. All right. Um, well, let's 
start talking about about men. Um, what did you think about this movie? Just general non-spoiler thoughts. Uh, can you recommend it to our audience? <laughs> uh, okay, so considering the fact that our audience might just be our friends that we know, I'm going to say no, I would not recommend this movie. <laughs> but did I like this movie? Yeah, I did. Um, it's, I, I think the best way that I could summarize it is I haven't been this scared watching a movie since Her- hereditary and I haven't been this disgusted since watching possessor. So it's, it's definitely a pretty brutal combination. So if you don't have the stomach or the heart for it, you know, I, I wouldn't recommend it, but it, I would definitely file it in that category of, I enjoyed it and I never want to see it again. But I don't think it's as good as Hereditary or Possessor, but I think there's still enough to kind of enjoy what Alex Garland was trying to do. But it's I, I can see how some people are put off by his work because he he might have this air of pretentiousness where it's like, oh, analyze my movies, you know, figure me out. Uh, but the thing is that like we've talked about, he he gives you enough clues to do so and he sets up an interesting enough world where you want to interpret and and see what he's talking about and see what the underlying themes are i think this one is probably his least accessible film less so than annihilation because if if you've seen annihilation you know that the ending is really crazy um but the ending of this movie is also really crazy so it's something I'm sure we'll we'll talk about in detail later, but I I personally liked it. I, I mean, of all the A24 films that came out this year, I think it's not the not the best, but also not the worst. Um, it's like right in the middle. I, I enjoyed it, but uh, yeah, I think watching it with you, it was really stressful. <laughs> like I I was seriously like I have not been this like uneasy throughout an entire film for so long because of uh Alex Garland's like amazing direction and just his use of cinematography like even though it's so scary um it's it's like so pretty to look at at the same time so it, it's definitely a double-edged sword yeah I completely I completely agree with you I think that I, I wouldn't be able to recommend it to our friends I think uh it's it's a little too far out there the first half, I think, is way more accessible than the second half. The first half feels very literal, feels like it's happening, um, you know, it's actually happening in real life. And the second half becomes extremely strange and, and weird and really off-putting, kind of disgusting and also fascinating at the same time. Like, you can't yeah. look away. You can't look <laughs> away because you're just like, what am I watching right now? Yeah. Um, I, I like to think of the second half of this movie, like, uh, I, I'd compare it to, to Tan, uh, the car, uh, the car movie that won the, the Palme d'Or at, at the Cannes Film Festival. It's, um, it's about a woman who gets impregnated by a car and it gives birth. <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 Just your then, basic uh, run of the mill romance. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, so I'd compare it to that. I compare it to this. Um, a Swedish film called Border, which is also extremely disgusting and gross. <laughs> um, that movie I won't spoil for you, but if you really want your to to mess with your own mind and also to uh, watch things that you can't unsee, 
uh, Border is definitely a movie for you, yeah. Uh, yeah. along with Titan. And uh, finally, I'd also compare it to Nicholas winning reference, uh, The Neon Demon. Uh, just th these are all really bizarre movies made by really crazy people. And I think you have to be a little bit crazy to enjoy this movie. So what I'm saying is uh, for any of our friends out there who may be a little crazy, like Paul and I, <laughs> then you might, yeah. you might, you might actually find this uh, a lot to appreciate about it. And I actually really like this film as well, Paul. Uh, I don't think it's, I like, like you said, I don't think it's his best film. I still think Ex Machina, Annihilation, those are his masterpieces. Yeah. Uh, but I think this is a, still a really good film, that uh, a really well-crafted film, really pretty to look at. And this probably is his most metaphorical movie. Yeah. I'd say. Uh, I yeah. think um, there's so much to interpret and unpackage in this movie. And so it's a lot of fun to watch it with friends and to kind of try to dissect and analyze what did this symbol mean in the film? What is what, what about this recurring motif? And then there's this really bizarre sequence that I can't wait to talk to you about. It <laughs> happens at the end, like the last 10 minutes. That, you know, I, I mentioned things that you can't unsee. That is definitely something <laughs> that will be buried in my mind. And I, I'm, I'm kind of bummed that I have to th have those images in my brain somewhere. But, you know, <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I think I think it's uh, it's not without purpose. Like he's not just trying to shock the audience. I think he's he has something to say here. Yeah. And I, for people who actually are curious for maybe like the the one listener of this episode who isn't either you or me and is actually curious to see this movie. Um, I think one question that they might have, because, you know, I earlier I said that it's it's really terrifying. Uh there is almost no, I don't think there's a single conventional jump scare in this film. So whether you are really off put by that kind of stuff, uh, because I personally hate, um, I hate jump scares. So I, I don't watch a lot of horror movies because I just don't like that stress. And, and it's also just cheap, you know? Uh, but I think with this film, the reason it was so unsettling and so just nerve wracking throughout the whole film is because He's, he's teasing a jump scare through a lot of his clever, you know, shots and just the way that the characters are framed, but it just never comes. So for, for me, that is what made it so scary. And maybe if your knowledge of that kind of helps you to push through the movie, I mean, there are still some scary parts that happen where it's, it's like in your face horror, but I think it was the, the pulling of the thread and it just kind of like, you're just like, God, just just get it over with. Just just kill me already. Like with this jump scare, you know, it, it, it was that feeling that uh, just you were being teased the whole time. It was like, oh, God, it was like so, so difficult to to endure. But, uh, you know, props to Alex Garland, because seriously, it, it was like that for the entire movie. All right. Uh, why don't we get to spoilers right now so we can just talk about the movie in depth? All right, let's do it. No, no, you're still holding on. Let go. All right, Paul. Um, why don't you kind of explain and unpack just what in the world happened in this movie? Um, I, I mean, things happen. And I think the biggest question is, is this metaphorical or is it literal? Like, is, is this what, yeah. is this actually happening? Yeah. Okay. So I, I told Mike earlier uh, this week that I was going to write down everything 
that I remember from the film so that we can kind of just go through it maybe like scene by scene or just kind of discuss the part the parts that are interesting but yeah so to set up this film uh we are introduced to Harper played by Jesse Buckley who who by the way is is a fantastic up-and-coming uh actor uh she was in stuff like um Chernobyl she plays a, a minor role in Chernobyl which is one of my favorite limited series of all time and she was really good in it and also in this movie called um you know what I'm thinking about anything <laughs> yeah for, I honestly <laughs> forgot that movie's name because I wanted to block that out of my memory um, oh. I, I actually watched that with Mike and both of us absolutely hated that movie but she was really good in it so yeah um, you know credit to her um and she was also really good in The Lost Daughter, which was one of my favorite movies of last year. Uh, so, yeah, we, we are introduced to Harper and her husband played by, uh, forgive me if I get his name wrong. It's like Papa Siedu. Um, yeah, I read that as Papa as well. Yeah. Papa. Papa, yeah. Uh, and so it's it's implied that they are, you know, they've been in a pretty long relationship and they're going through a lot of difficult times and they're married. Uh, so she is basically taking a trip to um, an English countryside to recover from the suicide of her husband. So in the beginning, you find you, you see that her husband's falling from the apartment, like like falling down. She's like looking outside the window and sees her her husband like slowly, you know, falling off the ledge. And then that's kind of like how the movie opens. And then we're it's kind of being. Um, cut together with scenes of her driving to the the location. I guess it's like the Airbnb spot, but it's like a really nice house. Um, I don't and... know if really nice is the the word to just <laughs> the phrase to describe this house. Yeah. It's just like old. <laughs> it's it's old. It's big. I mean, some of the rooms look really nice, like the kitchen and stuff look really modern. Okay, um, yeah, sure, sure. Yeah. But yeah, plenty of rooms to like be scared to be of and, and to get murdered in yeah like a lot of rooms for murderous activities for sure um and yeah so i guess before we go into all of that there like you said there are a lot of things that can be interpreted as i think literal or metaphorical and i i i wanted to say uh i i was reading some reviews and some people you know when when it comes to something as polarizing as like talking about the patriarchy, talking about men, you know, you have people on one side saying, oh, this, this movie doesn't assault the patriarchy enough. It doesn't criticize the like misogynist nature of men or whatever. And then the other one was like, oh my God, give me a break. You, you're saying all men are like this, blah, blah. blah. So uh, there, there's definitely a fine line that you have to tread when, when it comes to interpreting films like this. Um, but yeah, I, I think there are some more literal, uh, like literal uh, visual cues and more and others that require more interpretation. So one of them, uh, when she first gets to the house is she eats an apple that she pulls from a tree. And, uh, you know, that can be very clearly connected to Adam and Eve and Eve, you know, eating the fruit. Um, so that was like the first kind of like image that we get. And then she's in introduced to the landlord named Jeffrey played by Rory Kinnear and one thing that's interesting about Jeffrey, you'll find out later. Uh, well, I mean, we'll talk about it later, but he's basically a very strange fellow. He seems he's very, very country. Yeah. Yeah. And he's very nice, uh, but he, he's a little odd, you know, doesn't have it 
all together, not completely socially aware. Um, but yeah, he basically introduces her to all the rooms where she could possibly get murdered. And it's like really nice that some parts of the house, other parts are a little scary. <laughs> and then uh, after he after he leaves. Oh, and Mike, feel free to jump in. I'm kind of just going off my notes here. Sure, sure. Um, so after he leaves, she she calls her friend. Uh, I remember we were talking about this earlier because we read the article from Collider and said that that was her sister. That is not her sister. That's her friend. Yeah. Yeah. So shame on you, Collider, for thinking that they're sisters because uh, Harper has like a, a British accent and then her friend has an American accent. Yeah, so we, we're like, we thought, yeah. And we, we were like, oh, maybe it's an allegory for uh, Christopher and Jonathan Nolan. <laughs> one's one's grew, one grew up in you know the UK, the other one grew yeah, up in the US. Exactly. Uh, so yeah, so Harper calls uh, her friend and lets her know that she's arrived and you know, her, her friend wants her to give her the house tour, but she's like, no, nah, I'm too tired. I'll do it later. And then something odd happens where the, the video conference kind of cuts out. There's like a staticky image that kind of overlays the, the video chat. And it's, it's a faint image of a man who looks like he's in pain, like he's screaming or something like that. And then that's, that's kind of like the first tease that we get. And then I think it cuts to the next day where she goes out for a walk. And then she finds a massive tunnel. And if you've ever seen any promotional pictures of this film, then you'll notice like this is the tunnel. This is that that scene. And uh, I think this scene abandoned like railroad, right? Yeah, yeah. It's really big. Um, And this was both of our like like both for both of us. It was one of our favorite scenes where she goes into the tunnel and then she kind of starts garage banding a little bit with a tunnel like she'll she'll go like ah and then she hears that go ah ah and um it's you know it's funny because this is an a24 movie so if you're a up-and-coming director and you want a24 to notice you just put in like some sort of creepy musical cue or like repetitious like sound and then yeah (laughs) yeah. or get like a Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just any of those cues, and then a two would be like, "We need to buy this movie." Um, yeah. uh, it, for those of you who don't know what those noises are, I wasn't just making random noises. Uh, those are from <laughs> yeah. Ari Aster's films. <laughs> yeah, Hereditary and Midsummer. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, she starts kind of garage banding with the echoing of the of the tunnel, and it, and this is a very subtle thing, but I think it you know it, it kind of implies that she was like a musical like a musical person, maybe that was her career or, you know, that was like her passion as well. Uh, because one of the, I mean, this is kind of going off topic, but one of the criticisms that I heard about this film is that uh, Harper is not really a character. She's more of a vessel of like people, like men who have abused her kind of. And mm-hmm. I just thought, well, you know, I, I think it's like small touches like this where she's clearly like musically talented. Like there is a bit to her where it's like, oh, like the, mo- the movie is like teasing a bit. Uh, a, a bit of like who she is um so yeah I, I think that that was that was an interesting scene and then um i think during it's either like during this scene or something it, it kind of cuts back to flashbacks of her arguing with her husband and her husband essentially says uh if you divorce me i'm going to kill myself and so we from very early on we understand that he's a very manipulative man and she kind of puts her he kind of puts her in a spot where it's like, well, you know, like, do I want to feel guilt for you like dying because of me or what, 
blah, blah, blah. So things like that. So like these scenes are just cut throughout the whole film where she's kind of just experiencing the nature and, and enjoying her time at, uh, in the countryside. So the first creepy part is in the film where she's in the tunnel and uh, she eventually notices a figure on the other side who hears her, her little ah and all that stuff. And then uh, what, what is his response, Mike? Or its response? Yeah, she notices the other someone else on the other side and she's curious. And the guy just goes, ah! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, and then not only that, but the figure starts running at her, and terrifying. Oh my gosh! Yeah, that part was like really scary. Uh, And so that's when she's like, "Oh shoot!" And she has to like run away. So she she runs back out of the tunnel, and then she kind of gets lost in the forest. She doesn't find her way uh, completely back to where she was, and then she kind of stumbles upon this open area with a lot of like derelict shacks and and like you know abandoned houses and stuff like that and then i think she finally finds signal again on her phone just so she's able to navigate her way back home but before she does that she wants to take a picture of the the shacks because it's like oh you know do it for the gram or whatever so she she takes a picture and then notices after taking a picture that there is a very jaundiced naked man standing (laughs) in front of the shack staring at her and that causes her to kind of get a little freaked out and run away. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's not every day there's a naked man who shows up in your pictures. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, I mean, at this point, you know, before when she's walking through the, the countryside and all the nature scenes, um, it's very pleasant. Like you're watching and you're like, oh, man, this place is beautiful. But then you can sense that there's like something weird going on. And then this is kind of the first, it's like, okay, okay. This is a, this is yellowish brownish naked man staring at us. So uh, yeah. So she, she goes back to her place and then she does some light work in the kitchen the next day. And then her friend calls her saying, Hey, you never gave me that house tour. Give me that house tour. So Mike, this to me was the scariest part in the whole movie. Uh, I think <laughs> Just the way that she, just the way that she moves around, and Alex Garland like films it. I thought it was so expertly done. But essentially, the naked man has followed her home, and curiously observes her through, you know, the windows and and the glass, the glass doors in her house. Oh, so creepy, so creepy. Yeah, and and you get a good look at him, and you notice that this naked man has the same face as Jeffrey, the landlord. And so you start to just kind of see her walking around through the various houses. And then uh, they're basically just in each other's blind spots the whole time. And the thing about this scene and what makes it so scary is that, you know, Harper's back is constantly, you know, face like she, she has her back towards like a really open area. And, you know, that's when my mind started playing tricks on me. Like, okay, he's clearly going to like bust through the, the open space and, and like tackle her or do something horrifying to her. But yeah, like I said earlier, that it just never comes. It's just constantly teasing you like, Oh, this is like something bad is going to happen. But uh, yeah. So she, she goes, she, she tours the, the whole place. And then eventually she does see the naked man standing outside her house. um, And she calls the cops. And surprisingly for a place that seems like it's in the middle of nowhere, 
the the cops show up really quickly and apprehend the naked man and afterwards they have a conversation where uh we meet the only other female character in the movie and she basically consoles her lets her know hey everything's going to be okay and one thing you notice is that the male cop who's apprehending the naked man also has the same face as the naked man and as jeffrey so this is a common trend that you'll be seeing uh throughout the film but uh what, what do you by, think yeah yeah all played by uh rory kinnear yeah have, have you seen rory kinnear in anything because the only thing i remember him from is like m's like he's like this the like hench not henchman but he's kind of like the second in command of yeah. m in the daniel craig bond movies yeah, I think that's the only one. I mean, I didn't I didn't recognize him at first until you actually brought up uh, the 007 movies. Which is looking yeah. at his filmography. I don't think I've seen other movies with him. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, this is definitely a very interesting casting choice for me. But I mean, man, he nailed it. Like all the different roles and stuff. I think at this point in the movie, I started to think that this wasn't a literal film. Like it wasn't hap- actually happening because she sees the cop and it's, it's, he has the same face as Jeffrey as the naked man. And, but she doesn't really react to that. Like WTF, like are, are there like a bunch of clones here? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. that's why I'm like, is he just, is this trying to just represent all men, but you know, they actually have different faces, but uh, they're all just played by the same actor just to symbolize or, or be like a metaphor for something. Yeah. I, I, my train of thought for this was kind of maybe the movie was trying to say that we all like all men kind of suffer from the same sins or, or the downfalls that cause us to mistreat women. And so that's why, because clearly, you know, she sees the faces of all these people mm-hmm. and, and if she was any like normal person, she would just be like, Hey, how come you all have the same face? You know, but yeah. she never addresses it in the movie. Um, and I think that probably speaks to more of a, like a symbolic, you know, just like this is how men are in, in this generation. Just walking um, around, standing naked, <laughs> getting in people's pictures. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely giving me ideas uh, for <laughs> my, for some new activities for myself. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's, it's interesting that, you know, the, the other, the only other female character that we see in this movie is someone who is, you know, comes from authority and also wants to comfort her. But uh, as we'll learn later, she doesn't really have much of a say um, in, in in it all. Um, so, so the next scene that happens is she goes to the nearby church. And this is where we get more flashbacks of her husband's suicide. And basically we learned that her husband gets in an altercation with Harper and strikes her in the face. And that causes her to just flip out and be like, just get out of my room. I never want to see you again. If you die, like, you know, that's on you, blah, blah, blah. And so in order for him to, I mean, he, he tries to, you know, he, he says he's sorry and he tries to reconcile, but she's just not having any of it. So he kicks her out or she kicks him out. And then he tries to barge his way into the flat above hers. And eventually he, he does succeed. And then that's when he, kind of falls off the ledge and then we're led back to the opening scene in the beginning where he falls down and it's important to note the injuries that he sustains in the film which is that he gets impaled by like a kind of like the iron maiden like fencing like the spikes the black spikes and his hand gets impaled and it's uh i apologize for people who 
are listening and you're very visual uh, but it gets impaled in like the middle of his palm and then kind of like slides down so it's it's kind of a big gash and then also his like right ankle or something is like completely shattered and yeah. just like you can't use it anymore yeah it's like uh, bent backwards yeah yeah so those were the two like you know biggest injuries and, uh, which, and, yeah, and Paul's just not like a sick person, just like fascinated <laughs> over these injuries. Uh, these actually are actually important for later on in the movie. Yeah. Also, I am a little bit sick. So, I mean, I, I watched this movie and I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I mean, you're going to go out naked tomorrow. Right? So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and impale myself. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, so she visits the church and then she thinks about these flashbacks and then it causes her to get really emotional and she screams. Uh, and then afterwards, she. She, she leaves the church, but we get a curious shot of a statue, or I guess it's like the, it's like the podium, right? Um, something, probably, yeah, something like yeah where like the, the, the priest like gives the sermons and stuff. He uses that statue as a podium. And there's two images on it. One is of like a man who has like a lot of like foliage coming out of his face, like leaves and like roots and stuff. And then the other one is of, uh, and I had to look this up. It's like of a woman who's exposing her, uh, her nether regions. And there's like, I think more like tree stuff like coming out or like vines or something like that to, and, and there's a name for this, uh, this figure. And I, I, I don't have it on me. It's like a three syllable. Oh yeah. I, I have the name right here. Oh, I, yeah. I looked it up. It's called the Sheila Nagig. <laughs> oh, and, really? and, and the green man. Oh, okay. uh, I'm not. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right. I think this is a some kind of Irish symbol. Yeah, and so, uh, apparently historians aren't really sure what this is and what it's supposed to be. But you know, they they find it everywhere. It's it's actually in a lot of churches. So oh, no, what no, the heck? Yeah. So no one knows what it is. They don't know if it's like a some kind of warning or some kind of celebration of something, or it's trying to symbolize some kind of event. Yeah, no one knows. Wow. Okay. Yeah, thanks for that. Okay, so Sheila and Green Man, um, sh- that those those images are also a little bit, you know, they they they're mentioned a little later, so it's definitely a little bit of foreshadowing. So when she leaves the church, she encounters a little boy with a mask on who asks her to play hide and seek with her, and then she's like, "Nah, dude, I think I'm okay." And then she and then he's like, "What the heck?" and like calls her the B word, and then the priest who was kind of lurking behind the scenes and watching her as uh, Harper was in the church. He comes out of the shadows and it's kind of like, Hey, don't, don't talk to her like that. And then, and then he's like, F you priest. And then like runs away. We should, we should, you should probably mention the kid has the face of Roy Kinnear, but badly CGI'd on. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That, that was definitely the, the one thing in the film that like really took me out of it because I'm like, dude, you did ex machina. Like how many years ago? Like, like seven years ago. And you had like Alicia Vikander's face on like a robotic body and looks so good. It's like, what happened with this one, dude? Yeah. Why can't you just make it look like that? (laughs) Yeah. Like the kid, it it was clearly like an adult face on a, on a kid's body and it just looked really weird. But I mean, and and, you know, like, like over 10 years ago, right. We had, um, we, we had Chris Evans face on a skinny little guy's body, you know, (laughs) America first semester. And that looked pretty good. Yeah, definitely better than uh, than whatever they tried doing here. Uh, so maybe the bad CGI was also symbolism or some sort of <laughs> metaphor. I think we can excuse it though. It's like a you know, it's a smaller budgeted movie. So yeah, exactly. 
so yeah, the, the priest begins talking to Harper and then she kind of confesses like what's been, you know, tormenting her as the priest had said. Um, and basically he starts to gaslight her and say like, oh, you know, did you give your husband an opportunity to forgive or, or to, to uh, repent and so that you can forgive him? And she was like, what, like, why, why do I have to, you know, like he has to, he has to own up to it or whatever. And basically the priest was implying that she was the one who is responsible and should bear the guilt of his death because he didn't, she didn't treat him with enough love and respect and stuff like that. And then she's just like, like, dude, what the freak? Like, why am I talking to you? So, so she leaves. Um, and then uh, one thing you should, uh, that I noticed was that there's a shot like where they're sitting on the bench and they're talking to each other. And in the background, there's like a cross that's fallen. Uh, oh, interesting. Yeah. Like, a, yeah, like uh, it's a pretty big cross. Um, but yeah, I was like, okay, something's wrong with this church. <laughs> well, what I noticed was uh, as he was talking to her, he, at one point he places his hand on her leg. Oh yeah. For a very long time. Yeah. And I thought, I mean, everything in this movie is deliberate right so I, I felt like that gesture was i mean i already you already kind of feel like there's something wrong with this priest yeah yeah and uh that's uh, something that we'll bring up later uh but yeah that's that's true good observation um so yeah afterwards she goes to the pub to try to relieve some of the stress that she's been having all day and of course she bumps into jeffrey and several other patrons of the bar and the bartender who all curiously have the same face as Rory Kinnear and everyone else. So uh, Jeffrey orders her a beer and then they begin to have a little bit of chit chat. And then of course the, the cop enters the bar later and lets Harper know that, Hey, we actually let the naked man go. And she's like, you know, flabbergasted. She's like, why? Like he was, was socking me. And the cop says something very curious. I think he says something al along the lines of, I don't think he ever saw you. And hmm. I feel like that's kind of an implication that's like, how would you know that, you know? Yeah. And it's kind of in it, uh, in it, like I interpreted it as they're all like the same person because he's like speaking on behalf of the naked guy. So it's like, he was there, you know, um, yeah. he was stalking Harper. So naturally she was very off put by this. And I think Jeffrey was kind of like silent on the matter, but yeah. What did you I, think I, of the scene? Yeah. Um, I kind of want to mention because like, it seems like he's shifting the blame onto her. Like she's overreacting. He didn't right. see her. Yeah. And then this is a, like second scene in a row, right? After the church scene where uh, the priest tries to gaslight Harper. Um, I think it, it, you know, you mentioned, really early on uh, when she first arrives at the Airbnb property, she looks, she looks at the apple tree. She takes a bite out of the apple. Right. And that immediately conjures up images of, you know, Adam and Eve, the creation story. Right. And in that story, you know, when, at, when Eve takes a bite out of the apple or, or the fruit, um, you know, immediately their eyes open. Right. And then Adam is the one who shifts the blame onto Eve, uh, even though it was his, right. his role, his job as, as the husband or the, or the leader, I guess, in that relationship, you know, like he, but in, instead of taking the responsibility for that, uh, he shifts the blame onto her. Um, and throughout this movie, everyone's pointing at her saying that, you know, even though she's the victim, 
they're, they're kind of blaming her for what happened with her husband. Right. Yeah. And I, I think that speaks to the secular interpretation of the Christian, you know, creation story, which is that from day one, it was an act of misogyny. It was an act of, right. uh, you know, the, the patriarchy, you know, mistreating uh, women and stuff like that. So that, you know, that definitely is on brand and in line with the rest of what happens in this movie. Um, so yeah, of course, Harper is very upset by all of this and decides to leave the pub. And at this point it's late at night, so it's very dark and she, you know, is a little bit, uh, unease, uh, uneasy and, uh, wants to go home and she can't get rid of this feeling that something is, is stalking her even still, because now she has the knowledge of the fact that the naked guy is gone. And, you know, at this point, it's like, dude, just freaking go to go back to London. Why are you <laughs> staying in this creepy countryside like Airbnb? Just get out of there. Just get in your car and drive away. Yeah, yeah, totally. And just yeah, I was, uh, and yeah. then you know, yeah, when her friend was like, "Stay there, I'm gonna come to you." I'm like, "What are you doing? This is so, yeah, this is so bad." Yeah, totally. So, so that is the scene that follows. She has the phone call with her friend. But before that, we get a shot of, of course, the naked man hiding in the shadows, ready to stalk Harper again. Uh, so she, yeah, so <laughs> she's having a call with her friend and she's like, no, you know, you you deserve to have this nice time off. We're not going to let any men spoil it. I'm going to take that axe that's sitting behind you and I'm going to chop off their nuts or whatever. And like, we're, I'm going to drive over there. We're going to have a good time. We're going to get wasted, blah, blah, blah. And then she's like, okay, okay, cool, cool. <laughs> and of course that was the worst decision ever because <laughs> we get to basically the last, I don't know, like 30 minutes of the film um, where basically all the crazy stuff happens. So, uh, but at this point, okay, my memory is a little bit fuzzy, Mike. So you might want to, uh, you might have to help me out on this, but uh, basically like, I think the naked man approaches her and I don't, I don't remember so, when this happens, but so, she like, yeah. yeah Harper's, Harper's trying to text uh, her friend Riley and she, she, she keeps trying to send her uh, her address, but the oh, service, yeah, yeah. He, it keeps cutting off her service. And then she sees the policeman in her yard. That's um, right. And, okay. Right. And then the lights start to flicker and then the, the cop changes into a young, the young boy uh, who then chases her inside the house, and then she has to defend herself with a knife. Uh, right, window, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the window is broken, and then uh, Jeffrey comes in. Yeah, then... so so prior to that, she because they kept cutting out when she was on the conversation with Riley, she's, her friends, you know, Riley's just like, oh, just text me the address, and, and I'll, I'll come to you. So she texts her the address, and then she gets an immediate response saying, I already know where you live, in all caps. And she's like, I'm coming to get you, you be, you know, and it's just like, oh, <laughs> you're at this point, you're like, oh, no. <laughs> yeah, it's like really freaky, dude. Um, I, I know I'm not doing it justice by describing it, but I was like thoroughly freaked out at this point. But yeah, so all the all the manifestations of Rory Kinnear kind of descend upon the house. And um, and then what happens is that the naked man reaches his hand into the mail slot of the front door. And at this point she has a knife and stabs him uh, kind of in like the forearm area. So, you know, the, 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 the shot makes it so that, you know, that if, if the naked man were to, you know, be released from the mail slot, he'd have to pull his hand out 
and in turn like basically sever his arm like and hand like vertically and that's exactly what the naked man does and this is the point where you realize that he the naked man is has sustained the exact same injury as her husband when she, when he fell onto the you know the metal spikes and it's it's very graphic it's very disgusting and then and then the naked man's arm is basically just like this flappy appendage and then yeah. he, he clearly doesn't seem to be bothered by the pain um and so when she's being chased around the house by you know the kid the kid also has the the injury and and he's like oh like we didn't play hide and seek last time this time we're gonna play hide and seek so they kind of get she, he he chases he chases her around and then eventually uh jeffrey opens the door and jeffrey's like oh what's all this then and uh, oh i'm going to <laughs> secure the perimeter because my father thought i was weak and i'm going to show you that i'm strong and he does that and then you know as you said mike the lights are flickering and he just kind of disappears and so eventually the other manifestations like the bar patrons like they're chasing her and then she gets cornered into the bathroom and that's when the priest appears and um this part is kind of going back to what you're talking about like when he puts her his his hand on her leg and it's like a very awkward and like clearly he's like a sexual advance you know and he begins talking about how he's like tainted with sin with lustful thoughts uh, ever since he laid his eyes on her and basically yeah. saying like, it's, it's because of fault. Yeah. Yeah. It's because of her existence that he is dealing with these carnal desires. And he does this really creepy thing where he takes a severed appendage arm and like uses it to like around, like to like choke her basically uh, like puts her, puts her neck in a chokehold. And then at this point she's like freaking out and she ends up stabbing him and running away. But, but Mike, what, <laughs> what did you feel about this scene? Um, I, yeah, I just couldn't get over uh, his hand. <laughs> his hand. It's just like this weird, yeah. like flapping appendage, like you said, and it's just like dangling there. And I think when he tries to pull her close, like you see the, the hand that's split in half, like dangle, like, Ugh, you know, yeah, placed on, on her. I'm like, oh man, I couldn't get over. Yeah, it's just weird, weird yeah. looking. And even um, when um, she, sorry, I was going to say, even when she stabs him, he looks like he's like getting pleasure out of it. I was like, dude, yeah. what the frick? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this whole scene, I I was just trying to figure out what the heck was going on. Like, this is so, like, at this point, it's just like, okay, this movie has kind of left the planet, you know? It's just like, yeah, it's, it's, it's so weird and bizarre. And I was just trying to keep up with what was happening. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, there's always a point in horror movies where it's like the it's like the never ending climax. So at the part where you realize like, OK, just have your guard up at all times. Like, you know, some crazy stuff's going to happen. There's no more like teasing. It's just like nonstop, like visual assault <laughs> and like audio assault yeah. uh, on your on you. And um, yeah, so that that's basically like this whole this whole sequence. Um, so eventually after after he stabs the priest he finally does what mike and i wanted her to do like 40 minutes ago which is get into her car and drive away <laughs> yeah. uh so she finally drives away but as she's speeding out of the the roadway um she hits jeffrey who's just randomly standing in the middle of the road 
And then she's like, oh, shoot. You know, so she comes to a screeching halt. And yeah. then again, it makes no sense. I would just keep driving. I don't care. It's like, <laughs> yeah. This town is really weird. It's okay yeah. if you just run someone over and just yeah. keep driving. <laughs> yeah. At this point, it's okay if you hit and run, dude. I yeah. mean, you were being choked out by a man's severed hand. So all, yeah. all bets are off. Um, but yeah, so because she is a, a nice and caring person, she stops and she's like, oh, no, what the heck? And then Jeffrey basically pulls her out of the car and drives away. And at this point, we're just like, huh? <laughs> like, <laughs> like what, what was that for? Is he going to London? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And one thing we should we should note is that if you've also like seen promotional materials for this film, you might have seen a picture of Jesse Buckley like in the like in a tub, like submerged in water, and her mouth is like really wide open. And in the movie, they just show that for like two seconds with no context, and then we just never see it again. Like, I don't know if you noticed that or if you had any thoughts on that. I just thought it was really random. Um, I, I, it probably happened so fast that like, I, I didn't have time to like process it. Yeah. It was just really weird. I have seen Um, that image and I'm like, I don't really remember that happening in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. That's because it essentially didn't happen in the movie. It's just like, (laughs) like one frame and it's just like, okay. I I can just imagine the behind the scenes is like, all right, all right. This is just one shot. Just get into this bathtub bathtub and just start (laughs) screaming. (laughs) So, so strange. Um, and okay, so basically, this is the point where it's like the climax. So Jeffrey drives away, but a few moments later comes back and is speeding towards Harper with the intention of running her over. And she narrowly dodges him, and then the car crashes into like kind of the brick barricade. And while she's like recovering on like the grassy area, uh, it finally cuts to a figure who you think is going to be Jeffrey walking towards her. And, you know, it's like a, it's like a silhouette silhouetted figure. And this time it's of the uh, Mr. Green man. So it's uh, uh, the, the naked guy, but he has a lot of like foliage and like, like vines and trees and leaves on his face. It's, it's actually the green knight. He came from the other A24 <laughs> yeah. movie. Into this yeah. One. So it's a shared, uh, shared uh, multiverse. It's Dev Patel. <laughs> uh, and uh, he looks very different. But uh, yeah, so the green man, uh, one thing that's very noticeable about him is that not only is he naked, he has a very big belly, uh, almost akin to a pregnant woman. Uh, and so this is basically where, you know, if you ever hear anything about this movie, this is the scene. This so, is Paul's favorite scene in the movie. Th- yeah, this is my favorite cinematic moment uh, in the history of it's movies. His, uh, it's his wallpaper on his computer. <laughs> Yeah. It's also, yeah, it's like my screensaver. It's everything. Um, so, oh, I think uh, Alex Garland, he he calls this the rolling birth sequence, okay. <laughs> which is uh, which is true. So essentially, Mr. Green Man begins to give birth to another full sized male. And uh, there's a very graphic shot of what is essentially his butthole. Uh, opening <laughs> up for the the same size man to to emerge, and the first time we see that at this point, Mike and I are just like, "This is the greatest movie of all time." I hope this goes on for another hour. 
I can um, totally relate to this, like what yeah. you said in your letterbox <laughs> yeah. review. I'm like, oh yeah, I've been there. Am I right, man? You know? <laughs> um, so yeah, essentially he's giving birth to himself and he comes out, you know, very much like the naked man, but like covered in, you know, grossness and all that. And he, and the, the man starts kind of slowly crawling towards Harper and Harper at this point is handling it really well. She's kind of just like, okay, this is happening. Uh, I'm not screaming. I'm not freaking out. I'm just kind of silently watching. Uh, and after, you know, the green man gives birth, he immediately has like a huge belly again and starts giving birth again. Uh, I can't remember all of the human orifices that he uh, c- comes out of, but I think I think it's the uh, it's the naked man that like that is born, right? And then the young boy, and then the priest. Oh, and then and then Jeffrey. Oh yeah, good yeah. point. Yeah, I thought it was just like because it's kind of dark and like yeah yeah yeah. I just figured it was like the same guy, but yeah, I think you're right. They they are all the different manifestations. And, and I think what's important is when they're born, they still have that injury, the the broken ankle and then yes. the split hand. Yeah, they all have that, uh, which is very yeah consistent with uh, her husband's injury. And, and yeah, and I think it's important. Like I had no idea what was happening. Like I was just watching. That. <laughs> yeah, I was just watching this right, and then, but I think the final birth is when her husband James comes out. Yeah. And that's when I was like, okay, okay, I, I see what you're doing, Alex Garland. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, and, and, and prior to that, like, every time the like the births keep happening, like, the person that comes out is, like, increasingly more pathetic looking and, like, not menacing to Harper. And so Harper's just kind of, like, in a sense, like, just looking down, like like, physically and also just, like, you know, she, she, she's looking down on him and just like seeing him in, in his in a very humiliated and like weak state. And then eventually, yeah, after after giving birth out of like his the the man's neck and like his mouth and all of this like crazy, crazy birthing sequences. Like you said, we finally get the end result, which is her husband. And they have this really awkward scene where they both sit on the couch together. And uh, Harper is just like, she, she's got that like, I'm fed up kind of uh, attitude going on. She's like tired and she's just like, what do you want, man? <laughs> and then her, her husband is just like, all I ever wanted was your love. And it just kind of speaks to the fact that he's been, he's still manipulative after all this time. And initially you know, when we were watching this, I was like, what the freak is going on? But you had a really great point and interpretation about what you think this means. So why don't you uh, explain a little bit? Yeah, I was trying to make sense of all this, like <laughs> freaking butthole after butthole of <laughs> giving birth to like different yeah. versions. Um, I was just thinking about like it's uh, each birth represents a generation and uh, they all have the same sustained injury. So it's the same trauma that they are passing down from generation to generation that they will inflict on uh, woman after woman. Um, that's why yeah. I saw it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm sure there's, you know, maybe there's an answer there for what Alex Garland was saying was like, whether or not women or men can do anything to fix that, or if that's just like how we are. Yeah. And, you know, and, 
so basically the the end of the movie is actually before the end of the movie we we get the the title of the film uh, appear on the screen and that's when we right. think it's over but then there's a small there's a short sequence afterwards where post post credit scene i'm just kidding. yeah yeah where dev patel comes out again <laughs> um <laughs> but uh yeah so uh harper's friend riley finally makes it to the house and she notices that her car is totaled and then she kind of just like runs in and this is the this is where we notice that her friend is actually pregnant um and you know that kind of just violently clashes with the pregnant imagery that we saw just a few moments ago when a man was giving birth to himself. Uh, and so, so she's, she finds Harper sitting on the steps outside and she looks very tired. And the closing shot is Harper looks up and has like a kind of half-hearted smile and then it cuts to black. <laughs> so, so that's the yeah. movie guys. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah. <laughs> so what did you make about that? Harper in the yard, kind of semi-smiling. I, I'm wondering if maybe it means that like she kind of came to an acceptance of like, uh, like this is my life and this is how it's going to be from here on out. And uh, maybe she's not ex- taking on the guilt of like, I did cause my husband to die. It's more just like putting up with it. Like realizing that because her husband was manipulative, manipulative towards the very end. So it's more just like, this is the burden that I have to bear as a woman. And Mm -hmm. uh, because who knows, like if men aren't going to change, then I'm going to have to be the better quote unquote man, you know? Uh, And so this, this was her kind of like just being exhausted and acknowledging her kind of like the state of her world. And she's like, okay, well, this is what I, gotta be because men can't do it so i don't know if that's what the film was trying to say but Mm -hmm. i mean oh yeah what do you think yeah i uh i don't know i actually i i didn't think about that post uh the epilogue scene um i I wonder if there's a significance to riley also being being pregnant herself um yeah yeah but the fact that like I don't mean, maybe it says something about women, you know, um, like every woman, female character is a different person, right. In this film. Yeah. All the male character characters are the same. And um, yeah, I, I think there's something there uh, to be said, maybe. Uh, I, I think the fact that the movie kind of just portrays every man in this town as the same, and then at the very end, it births her husband. It's just kind of saying every man has that inside of him, this ability to manipulate, um, this ability to gaslight people or to, to blame mm-hmm. shift. Um, I think I think it was really interesting. The little boy, uh, the little boy uh, uh, cursed her when she refused to play with him, you know, when she turns him down, mm. essentially. And uh, I, I think that's just... It, it, maybe it's trying to say something about male fragility you know it's like yeah absolutely yeah yeah like men are frat i guess like you know we put on this i mean there's that term that's floating around toxic masculinity you know right like we want to seem strong and invincible but uh deep down we're actually very fragile and then uh so uh and 
yeah. So I, I think, I think it's just saying all men have that in them. And then it's a generational thing. Like it doesn't matter, you know, it doesn't matter which generation, who it is. Um, you know, I, as a Christian, I think about sin, right. And, and sin is just, it's, it's encoded in us, in our DNA. Like we we're fallen and that's passed down generation to generation and it's, we can't mm. escape it, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, just, it's always going to be there. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I think that's further represented in the rolling birth scene where, you know, like I was saying, like he increasingly looks more and more pathetic as he emerges from himself. Um, and yeah, that definitely speaks to like fragility as well, where it's like, we put up this front, maybe that's where the mask comes into play where the boy's wearing the mask. And also mm -hmm. even when, you know, when Jeffrey arrives to quote unquote, try and save the day. And he, he talks a little bit about his father never respected him because he wasn't like a man. Mm -hmm. He's like, Oh, this is me yeah. proving myself as a man. I'm going to protect right. you. And of course right. he doesn't, he does the exact opposite of that. <laughs> Um, he takes her car and drives off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, 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 I oh yeah, go ahead. Um, I was just gonna say, Alex Garland probably is just saying something about men. How beneath our mask, we're just a really ugly CGI face. <laughs> yeah, yeah, with a lot of surprising holes in which to give birth from. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I think you and I both like Alex Garland. Because he, like you said, he gives you enough pieces of the puzzle to kind of know what's going on. Uh, but I think with this film, it's definitely, uh, there can be some parts that are like pretty on the nose. Like I think all the gaslighting scenes, I was like, okay, like I get it, you know. Yeah, right. uh, but then the, yeah, like the rolling birth scene and all the like, the like the folklore horror and all that imagery stuff. Like the one with the, with Sheila, the, the fertility icon or whatever. And, that stuff like i'm not really familiar with with all that or or the green man but i'm sure there's something there um whether or not we want to spend enough energy to delve into it is just is another story but i mean yeah i feel like overall there there was enough for like the message to be conveyed and i know alex Gordon himself said that this was like his most kind of like primal movie i guess uh not as much like Oh, it's it's this or that. It's it's more just like yeah, this is this is this is what men are or something. I think I read an I read an interview with uh, Rory Kinnear and uh, Jesse Buckley, and they talked about how Alex Garland would, has been obsessed with these kinds of symbols for the mm. past like ten years, and he's been trying to figure out a way how to turn these symbols into like a film. And I think the uh, Sheila Green Man uh, symbol is one that he kind of settled with with this film and i think you use a really good word uh or actually you you mentioned that he said this is his most primal film and i think maybe the the purpose of that ancient it's like an ancient symbol right and right maybe it's just trying to show that like this has always been with us it's not something that's recent it's just it's just through thousands of years you know of human history uh men have been this way yeah yeah yeah, and, and I think that it goes back to like why Harper doesn't acknowledge that everyone, every male in the town has the same face because she is kind of just aware of the fact that this is how men are. This is what they've always been and this is what they will always be like in the future. So, yeah, I mean, I, I can definitely see like 
some of the reviews that I read, they're like, oh, it's so on the nose. It has nothing to say about men other than misogyny is bad. But I also see the other side where it's like, it's it's hard to convey this kind of stuff, especially in a horror movie, you know, because right, yeah. it's just like, yeah, you got to be like, tell a compelling story and also freaking scare the the crap out of you. So, yeah, yeah. Um, um, there's a, I kind of want to mention, uh, another film that I watched, uh, it has nothing to do with men with, the, with this film, <laughs> men, the film, not men, men, the, the, the gender, but, um, uh, it's called never rarely, uh, sometimes always. Oh um, yeah. 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 And that film really affected me in terms of how it portrayed, like what it's like to be a young, young woman young girl and uh you know being in a big city uh unfamiliar with everything and then just being taken advantage of uh at every corner by men like the the female experience is just so so different than what it's like to be a man mm -hmm. um so i think that uh that movie shows this movie is definitely metaphorical kind of try to tries to get uh uh, get get a different kind of visceral reaction out of you, but I think that movie portrays like what uh, kind of places us into the shoes of a of a female. Yeah, yeah, and that's a good point, and I think that speaks to the larger dialogue that some people have, that some people take issue with, which is that men can't speak on behalf of women or uh, tell female stories. You know, like they like a, that's why a woman has to direct it. That's why a woman has to write it. And I think there's some truth in that. I think at the end of the day, like women will never, or men will truly like never be able to understand like the, like a hundred percent, the perspective of a woman. But I think because we like men are aware of some of the, like the ways that we treat women and how, you know, when we are introspective and look at our own shortcomings and flaws, we're able to still tell a story that has meaning. Okay. Uh, and I would say, an equal amount of meaning because if I were to see a, 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 um, a movie about a woman describing the male perspective, I would give it, you know, equal, uh, equal attention and, um, and not, you know, just be like, Oh, it's a woman directing. And what does she know? You know, mm -hmm. I, I've never been a part of that mindset where it's like, Oh, men can't tell stories where the woman is the protagonist and she goes through, you know, relatable, like female, uh, struggles and stuff like that because um yeah i mean I, I think as long as you are kind of like have world experiences have have lived live uh, a life where these things have happened to you or people close to you i think you you have a voice you have a story that you can tell and that was you know one of the biggest criticisms i saw about this film was like oh leave it to alex garland to tell a movie about how men suck and how women are oppressed and stuff but i i don't agree with that i think they're there is a space where men can kind of talk about like, yeah, like we're kind of scummy sometimes and we don't treat women well, you know? Yeah. Um, it's and like, it is showing just, uh, Hey, this is all the horrible things that we do. Yeah. 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 And uh, he had and to go and how it. we, this is how we just come into the world through our buttholes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we really oppress each other by freaking emerging from our own buttholes. Um, <laughs> And uh, yeah, that I mean, that imagery is going to stick with me for the rest of my life. I mean, yeah. Uh, I mean, hey, you have kids. You've, yeah. you've witnessed the miracle of life. How similar was that scene to 
<laughs> I mean, yeah, it's <laughs> it's. I, I did not want to think about my own children <laughs> while watching that. <laughs> I was actually just thinking about like my kids can never see this <laughs> ever. <laughs> or you can make it like when they're like forty years old. You're like, all right, sons. Yeah. All right. Gather all right, around. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I mean, overall, I I don't think I'll watch this movie again. But I think there, it's an interesting enough film uh, to explore. And Alex Garland needs help. Uh, he <laughs> he and Ari Aster uh, need to see a psychologist, or someone needs to give them a hug. Or a twenty four needs to like have a psychologist on site, <laughs> like yeah. walk them through everything. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Any closing thoughts, Mike? Uh, no. Yeah. I think uh, it, it was it was fun walking through the entire movie with you. Um, I think I think a lot of it, I think just talking through all the points helps clarify. I think the meaning and also like what actually was happening. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's basically like we watched it again. So. <laughs> Great. So, yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, uh, thank you everybody for tuning in to this really. Uh, this is a really weird episode of um, <laughs> Week of Foolish Movie Podcast. So, yeah, thank you again for tuning in. We will see you next time. Thanks, guys. We're not done yet. No. The Supreme Leader is wise. I'm sure you are. Blow that piece of junk out of the sky! <laughs>